Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. Hello, this is Farhan Azrali, and I'm honored to be here in conversation with Orit Sengupta, who is the founder of Vijnana Yoga International. She teaches retreats and trainings around the globe, is author of several books, including The Heart of the Practice, and was the first person to translate into Hebrew Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. I'm so delighted to be here with you to talk about Vijnana Yoga and yoga in general and to learn from you the insights that you've gained from your practice. Welcome. Thank you. So I'd like to start off by asking a, a question. How is Vijnana Yoga different from what people would expect if they go to a typical class? Well, I don't know what a typical class is today, but um, I think there's uh, maybe two things which would be a bit different. One is that we always begin with meditation and pranayama. And I think the other is that, there, that the practice is slower because there is a lot of effort made to be continuously aware of what's happening while we're practicing. So we're less doing and more being aware of what is happening. Mm -hmm. And what are the reasons uh, for starting practice with meditation and pranayama? It's, um, it's similar to the reason why people who are martial artists like uh, Kung Fu or Karate or, or uh, Tai Chi is that it's not always official in their practice, but they meditate before so that they can quiet the mind and, and so be at the best with their body. So the mind is more attuned and then you're more clear and the body can function better. So it sounds like it's not so much about the poses itself, but more about the sensing and feeling and awareness that we bring into movement and the body. I think that the difference between yoga and, and um, any kind of physical uh, um, education, other you know, physical practices, is that in yoga, there is as much attention to the quality of the mind um, as to the quality of the movement. And in, and in yoga, we aspire for both to be harmonized. Mm -hmm. And you can't think that if you work with the body, that will make the mind quiet. Actually, for you to really uh, uplift the body and work with the body on a very high level, the mind has to be very attuned, very peaceful. And so the sitting and the breathing uh, uh, make the mind more um, quality. Uh, it, it brings to a higher quality of mind, and that has an incredible effect on moving. Now, I know you have um, a sitting practice and an asana practice, and we're, we're talking precisely about these two things, how they inform each other. 
Um, do you think that's yes. partially what's what's missing in in some of the ways that people practice asana? Oops, I couldn't hear you. Could you repeat? So um, you've been talking. I know you have a. Um, a sitting practice as well as an asana practice and the physical practices and how they inform each other. Do you think that's what's, what's missing when people practice the asanas? I think when you watch people practicing, you can see clearly their mind. And when their mind is unquiet, when they are busy, uh, when they are, too, when they are um, uneasy in their mind, you can really see it in the way they're moving. Now we also notice from high quality sports that uh, the ones who are really excelling are the ones who can get into the zone, so to speak. So what we're trying in a way to do is um, educate the mind like we're educating the, mind, the body so that the mind almost, want, just the minute you sit, the minute you sit on the, on the meditation cushion and you close your eyes, with time, the mind starts moving into this quiet, calm, observing place, and you um, cultivate that. It's being cultivated just by sitting there, even if you don't even try. Even if you're not trying to do it, just by sitting and keeping still, your mind gets more and more focused and quiet. This uh, multiplies itself when you do pranayama. It becomes even stronger. So actually, when you're coming into asana practice, um, the mind causes the body to be at its best and the body being at its best um, makes the mind even intensifies the mind and so they start to intensify each other but if you come into asana practice with your mind either lazy or very upset it takes a long time for asana to calm the mind and at the same time you can't really listen to the body so actually you're using the the asana practice like a tranquilizer which is fine. That's why people like it. They feel calmer at the end and maybe a bit stronger. But you don't get what I feel. I mean, you don't get the higher quality of yoga, which is that as you move, the body uplifts itself, but the mind is also being like they uplift each other in terms. It's like love. <laughs> no, if two people, they really are into each other, it uplifts both of them. So... And um, so um, how have you seen that in yourself and in, in the students you've been teaching over the years? What is it? Is it just a quality of experience that takes root in your heart and in your life? This feeling of upliftment? I think that one of the interesting things is that you keep you have to keep practicing if i i think that one of the reasons i'm um i i tend to practice a lot is because i know that if i don't practice uh, for a while i'll become an idiot <laughs> and, and 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 since i know that when you're it's quite hazardous to be an idiot and we suffer from our stupidity um i practice for dear life in a way and so when you really practice every day uh, you begin, because I, I try to do my main practices for a few hours in the morning before I meet other human beings and people and animals, whatever, then um, this kind of 
making the mind focused and clear and the body and the mind harmonized, then you go out into the world in that state of mind. And so I don't think we're always going to be far from the best, but perhaps we're not the worst of ourselves, which is already good. Mm-hmm. So, so what I see, and, and so, and then I want to answer the rest, the, the other part of your question, because I'm very lucky. I have some students who are with me for 20, 30 years, and I see them sometimes on a yearly basis, my foreign students and some of my Israeli students on a weekly basis when I'm teaching. I have seen them mature. I have se- we are all maturing together. So I can really see how some, you know, we start when we're 20 and we're eager to do 108 uh, 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 back bends and you know all the bakasanas and we're very excited physically to to you know it's like to cap- conquer the Everest of the body you know and, uh, and I see with the years how we do our body becomes more wise more tuned we work with much more harmony and gracefully and everything but I think for me what's really amazing is to see how um, the person matures and we change we slowly very slowly we change we do things a bit differently with a little bit more wisdom a little bit less pushiness and because i see it you know we cannot see ourselves mostly because even if we look into the mirror we're not really seeing ourselves but actually we can see others and for me it's many times i mean we all can fail or fall but many times I can see that changing that it happens and I'm happy for that. That real practice creates something, some kind of change, positive change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you mentioned how much your practice has changed over the years. Can you speak a little bit more and specifically about um, the specific moment when I you were perfected in the poses but it didn't feel internally harmonious that was a long time ago (laughs) okay (laughs) but i I, i'll say one thing i think that like i i tried to say before the sitting feeds the pranayama which feeds the asana and then they feed back the the asana then feeds the, the pranayama and the sitting they all they all inform each other each of the practices inform each other I think that becomes clearer with the years, how they're all interconnected and important. Also study of texts, by the way, because in the texts, the texts are like a map. And when we read the text, suddenly it informs us about a practice, something in the practice which we, we knew, but we didn't have words for, and then it's written. And then we say, oh, now we're here on the map. And, and so the text is also, I mean, the serious texts are very, important part of practice because they tell us where we are and where we can what we can still expect you know and I think um, what I notice is that I I'm more I'm less ambitious today about um, how can I say it about quantity and more about quality of practice and Quality meaning a lot of harmony. And that has to do what I began understanding all those years ago when I was practicing with uh, Donna Holman, who's really a great master. And after um, spending some years with her, just practicing by her side, 
I was practicing with her. I could keep the rhythm and I could do the asana, but I realized that it didn't feel as good as it looked, if you like. There was a difference. And um, when I've, over the years, as I've spoken to students, I think that a lot of people feel like this. You know, it's like, um, it looks good. Why am I not feeling as good as, why am I feeling achy? Why am I feeling compressed? Or why am I feeling pain in the joints when it looks so nice? What is the, where is the, what to do about the gap? This is, I think, one of the big questions of, uh, of, 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 about asana practice and also about life, the gaps. And I think what I, what I really understood is that if I start the practice from a place of stillness and harmony where the body is feeling good, then one of the, the ways to continue feeling good is to avoid anything which disturbs that. You understand? So if I feel now the body is feeling good when I'm standing in Tadasana, all I have to do is continue bending forward without disturbing that good, goodness feeling, good feeling. So what I'm actually doing is listening to this goodness, good feeling, and keeping it, keeping it continuously. Like if I'm carrying a jug of water on the head, and, I, and I'm keeping the jug from spilling. I'm keeping it in the center. That's a whole way of thinking, which is very different than doing things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Keep the silence, not only of the mind, but of the body. Keep that harmony. I found the harmony, and now I'm holding this harmony. And how can I do it in elbow balance and in urvadhanurasana and in bakasana to keep that stillness and the connection in the body while doing even the most uh, intense positions. I think that was my, that was my search. And um, it's been a fascinating journey. Would you- and it turns out you can do it much more than you believe. <laughs> if you're willing not to stray from the path and keep doing things which cause you pain because it looks good or because you think that's what you should be doing. All you have to do is avoid suffering. Isn't that what they tell us? That we want, we are doing the path to be happy to avoid suffering. Suffering. Not suffer. Do, do you think that that equally applies to how we live our life in terms of finding that internal center of harmony and moving from that or speaking from that place or using that as the wisdom in which to move through life? It turns out that it's much more connected than people believe, but it's very hard work <laughs> because we have a lot of habits and because we don't want to listen so much. I remember many, many years ago, I had a student who was actually had a guru in India and she was meditating a lot. And I was explaining this thing that I explained to you now about listening to the body, finding the harmony, and just trying to keep it like you have a string and you, you keep holding on to the string all the time. And she said to me, you mean we have to be aware all the time? It was so shocking. Yes. <laughs> but if you are aware, of course, not always. We fall many times, you know, especially with, their, you know, with family, with partners, with close friends. Sometimes we lose our center because we are pulled or we are pushing. 
many times it's like with asana if you are if you are listening you will find a way to stay in the middle if you're if you're aware if you're in heightened listening it's a big job but at least it's interesting <laughs> at least there's always something to do <laughs> yes for sure you um you mentioned that you spend a couple hours in practice um how and i've heard you speak about the importance of cave time um how do you balance practice time just with the responsibilities and commitments of modern life um well first of all i'm you know i'm in this uh, happy age where my children are grown up and i usually don't start teaching before 10 so i have a few hours of practice in the morning and I try to have at least a, a one or sometimes one or two in the evening. And so it's not so difficult. You know what I think is difficult? It's the idea. Because for years I was practicing around three hours a day. And then at a certain point I realized, no, it's not enough. It's not enough for what you have to ask. It's not enough for maintaining the certain level of harmony or, 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 um, awakenedness that I felt I needed from a certain moment in my life. So it was enough uh, to, be, to be functional, to get up in the morning, practice a few hours, and then do everything I had to do during the day, take care of my work, my children, my life, and go to bed in the evening. But if I wanted to be um, more attuned, more at peace, no, it suddenly turned out that you need more hours a day. And then I, I slowly, I realized that you need more. And I don't want to tell you how much because you'll have a heart attack. <laughs> but, um, but when you do that, when you, it, it, this is a matter of experience. If you practice a certain amount of hours a day, more than three, you start feeling generally peaceful and clear and, uh, and happy. So you have a reason to continue doing that. And I think one of the things I found out, which was very funny, that's what I'll tell you, is that actually one of the ways to have more time to practice is to initiate less social, uh, how do you say it, interaction. So what I realized was that you don't have to start telling everybody, now I've become, uh, I'm living in a cave, I don't want to talk to anybody. No, you just initiate less. And the less you initiate, the less other people initiate, and you have more time. It's very funny. <laughs> now the question is if you enjoy that, but if you enjoy practice, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, then, then if you enjoy feeling peaceful, then it works. I'd love to talk to you about devotion and that feeling in the heart that connects us to something something bigger and that feeling of awe or reverence, you know, what does devotion mean to you and, and how has your practice ignited that? Um, in one of my first teaching courses, teacher training courses, I had a student, which I'm thinking of now, she was a, a scientist and, um, she grew up in a very secular family and she had an aversion to the word God. Mm -hmm. Now I was very interested when we started studying Patanjali, devotion <laughs> to Ishvara. She had a real uh, klesha of, of aversion, you know, to this thing. 
And then I thought I saw something interesting because with the years of practice, she changed and she started feeling devotion. To she started feeling devotion. And the devotion she felt came out of the practice. Simply practicing ignited that feeling. And, and this was for me the interesting thing that I think that before the concept of God, before the concept, before we had a name for God, mm -hmm. before we knew he was out there or in here, before anything, I think there was that. There was that feeling coming out of practicing of, of uh, gratitude and, 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 um, and the feeling of grace and the feeling that there is something greater than myself. And the wish to, to, uh, to be in contact with that, to um, somehow um, give ourselves to that. I think it was there before we knew the name for it. And I think that that's what happens to people when they start practicing. Because I had also religious students who came from uh, very religious backgrounds and who were fed up with their religious education and they were rebelling. And in practicing yoga, they found it again. They found it again because they, they really found the feeling and not all these words and blah blahs about it. That was very fascinating for me to see the two kinds, the very secular agnostic scientists who thought this is all, you know, all this God talk is for putting, uh, to making people a little more relaxed and less afraid of death and all the religious people who had got fed up with all their religious uh, super ego education that they got at home, which they felt was totally artificial bullshit. And both of them finding it because it's just feeling in their heart something which amazed them. It even shocked them. It's like, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? I said, that's, read that sutra. That's what they're talking about. Okay. That's for me fascinating. And I think I'm also one of these in a way that when I started practicing at the age of 17, something was awakened. And I think, I think for a lot of people, the reason they do yoga and not only um, gym stuff is because it awakens something of that, don't you think? Absolutely, 100%. So, and in the beginning, it's very un, unnameable, even exactly. un, undefinable. And maybe we shouldn't name it. That's what I'm trying to say, maybe actually, being like children, like it's a secret. We, we, we won't tell anybody we found this big, great love. Maybe it's not bad. <laughs> You've studied um, in great depth the sacred text, the sutras, Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Um, can you speak a little bit just about how, how that's enhanced your, your life and your practice and anything you might want to share with people who might be listening? I'm still busy studying all the time. Well, I'm now busy with a project which will take a few more years, but it's very exciting for me. I'm, um, I'm trying to, um, you know that uh, when you read the Yoga Sutra, first there's a Sutra Zalai Patanjali, and then there's a commentary by Vyasa, right? Mm -hmm. But then, over the, the centuries, different, there are four or five important commentators who have commented on Vyasa and Patanjali. They've written commentaries on that. And what I've been doing the last few years, and I'm still doing it, is I'm 
on each sutra writing the important, like trying to put together like a little uh, book of commentary of each of the commentators on Vyasa. Now, because it's big, it's a lot of reading. I'm not writing everything because then nobody will read it. It will be too long. <laughs> I'm trying to take the stuff that's really about practice. Let's say, um, I'll give you an example, then you'll understand. For instance, Stira Sukhamasana, the, the sutra about asana. Asana is, what, does it write, what is it written there? The asana is? With ease. Um, steady and with ease, right? Uh, the asana, Stira Sukhasana. So the different commentators say very different things about it, things that for me connect to practice. And one of them, Vachaspati Mishra, he says that an asana which is made um, not uh, softly, not easy, but with effort can't be an asana because that's the usual way of moving. Mm -hmm. So actually, the very fact that we make it effortless, that we don't make effort, that's the sign of asana. So that's something that wasn't, is not a new invention. That's, he wrote this uh, um, commentary, uh, 980. Mm -hmm. So these are little things. You find little things like uh, little uh, insights of, of practitioners and of, of these uh, teachers about how to breathe, exhaling, and waiting till you feel the desire to inhale before you inhale. This is something that we won't nat naturally find uh, in modern um, explanations of pranayama. And when I read somebody from the 12th century or the 15th century writing, I know he's a Brigham practitioner and he's not just uh, intellectual. And then I get very happy. <laughs> and I, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to bring all these pearls of wisdom um, and to make this kind of a commentary around Vyasa's commentary of Patanjali. That's exciting. That is exciting. And... Um, when, how, how long term is this project? Uh, <laughs> well, it's been going on for quite a while. Um, and I'm uh, towards the, I finished like the first, second and middle of the third chapter. I mean, toward the 12th or 13th sutra of the third chapter. And I, and I have it now in Hebrew and in English. So slowly moving. <laughs> a few more years, mm -hmm. a few more years, because it's because it's it's also a matter of of um, understanding deeply the text and taking out just the right part, not not too much, not too little. Mm -hmm. But I think what I and what I'm really aiming at is that it's so hard to read and that it's clear, because then I think someone who who likes yoga and is not a, wasn't a scholar, isn't you know, isn't somebody who um, you know, wants to study heavily in Sanskrit and so on, can read it and can make sense. I want it to make sense also to people who are normal practitioners and not only to, you know, scholarly people. Mm -hmm. so that, that takes time. I you know, know, as I was listening to you um, speak about that project, I was just thinking about the sense of time, you know, has... 
has your practice changed your perception of time? I think it's also age, because I just turned 60, that, um, you know, uh, you realize that time is the most, uh, this uh, kind of the, how do you say it? Um, it's very precious. And, and when you're 60, you realize that you've lived at least two thirds of your life, maybe more. And the time passes very quickly. So what is really interesting for you, what is really important, what is really vital, stick to it. But that's one thing. And that's kind of from the outside. But from the inside is that when you practice, time is another, you know, it's like time as a practitioner. In practice, time passes in a very different way. Than, than the regular time. And I think that when you live a quiet life, you know, when you, when you spend enough time quietly, inner time, this, this very special quality of inner time um, overlaps into outer time and takes over a bit more. And these are happy times, actually. <laughs> happy time. You know, that's one of the real things that I realized when I went to live in India in the beginning. In the, my years, of, in my 20s, I lived in India most, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And that's one of the things that fascinated me was that I said there's something called Indian time. <laughs> I thought it was Indian time then, because it's like in India, I could be in another time zone. But actually, it's inner time. And so now I find that, that I, can, I can maintain that not only in India. And I think it has to do a lot with time, something that the, the Indians understood. That's why, you know, they don't have a... I don't know if you notice, in Hindi, I, I'm not, this is what somebody told me, I'm not an expert in Hindi, but they said that in Hindi, actually, Kal means time. And it's, there, I think there's no past and future, it's always time. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. <clears throat> well, it's a, a beautiful thing to um, contemplate. <clears throat> There's no time. Um, you will be coming to Vancouver. I, I know it's not the first time you've come to Vancouver. What are you most looking forward to in terms of um, the community that you know in Vancouver and the the students that have been you've been connected to yeah well i think it's the first time i came was 21 years ago it's a long time ago um the first time i came to vancouver what for me is very important is to really understand this practicing from inside, this practicing with the principles, because when you understand that, you don't need so much. That becomes the teacher. This understanding, what I told you in the, long before, that if you can really find the beginning, a moment, a, a, just one place where you feel harmony in the body and you feel good with your body, and continue feeling that. In order to continue doing that, you have to work with the principles, 
you have to maintain the center of the body. You have to keep the limbs connected to the body. When you do that, you're practicing very differently. You have to experience it, so I hope you come to my retreat or my workshop in Vancouver. And when you experience that, even once, it's like a special taste. And what I say about this, there's a butter and margarine, they look the same, but they taste very different, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this taste of practicing with this kind of harmony, with this kind of connecting the inside so that the outside is never separate from the inside is, is what I, um, is the reason I allow myself to get on planes and, um, you know, uh, leave the quiet of my home, which I like a lot because I just think it's vital. And, um, and I want to meet people who are interested in that. And I, and I want to do that with them playfully. And I, and I, and I can see, on their, in their bodies and in their faces when they're doing that because it's a certain quality. Mm-hmm. So that's what I hope will happen also in Vancouver, which I also like. And, and a lot of the, you know, the Canadian yogis I know from a long time. Joya is an old friend of mine. And yeah, so it will be nice to meet everybody. It's been um, such a pleasure to be with you through the miracles of technology. And right. um, get a sense of all the insights and fruits of your practice. It's really been such an honor. Thank you so much. It was very nice to meet you as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.